You're listening to Mike and Kristen. The podcast. I'm Mike, a musician, writer, and producer. And I'm Kristen, a painter, writer, and designer. Our show is all about following dreams, taking chances, and what life as an artist is really about. Together, we bring you weekly guest interviews and thought-provoking conversations. Let's go! Hey everyone, what is going on on this beautiful Wednesday? We're at that snow-covered stage of winter, finally. Yeah, we got our first snowfall here in Nova Scotia. Thank you for shoveling so much today, by the way. Oh. And you made George a, a walking path. Well, you gotta you gotta make some paths for your cat to get out and get around. And... George gets pretty cross when it snows outside because he can't go run around and play per usual. He's still bringing us critters too. Yeah, he caught us a. Either a giant mole or a rat uh, a few days ago. Yeah, sweet boy. Yeah, he's good. Good. We had the taste of great too. <laughs> no, and it, you're you've got every guitar you own, I think, packed up out in the hallway now. I am recording right now in Sydney. That's true. Yes, when this episode airs, you will be in the thick I'll of things. I'll be in Sydney at Lake Wind Sound Studios recording a brand new album. Can you talk about the album at all? Like maybe what inspired it, what some of the songs are about? Are there any themes? Um, there's a, often a, a theme or often even a concept behind a whole albums that I release. And this one, I didn't really go at it with that approach. I just wanted to write good songs and write songs that I like. And at the end of the day, when I look at them as a whole, it does feel like it has some narratives that are woven throughout it. And it's not even intentional. It's just kind of when you capture a period of time in anyone's life, I think that that's going that's bound to happen. I think that this album is capturing the last year or two period of time in your life and it, all of the things that you've experienced. Yeah, and yeah, a lot of the songs are fairly new as well because I write so many songs. I often have like, okay, there's these 400 just sitting on the back burner. What am I going to pick from this one I wrote in 2011 or, or what? So I wanted to just have some fresh ones in there. We learned from today's guest, Chanel Jefferson, who's just an incredible person and artist, but... She talked a lot about being in alignment for her true creative voice to emerge. Are you going to do anything and prep for five days in the studio creating a new album? I think I've just, I prepared my whole life for this moment. <laughs> yeah. You sat out in the snow today too. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm like uh, Rudy. Remember the movie Rudy? Mm -hmm. I can't remember how the exact line went, but uh, they said, are you ready for this Rudy? He's like, I've been ready my whole life. So, you know, I, I kind of feel like just I don't have to do anything to prepare because I've been doing the work. That's good. Yeah. It's like practice makes uh, progress. I don't like to say perfect, but. Did you invent that? No, certainly not. Well, let's talk about Chanel. Yeah. Well, like I said, she, uh, she I, I was so impressed by her. I'm always happy to meet other artists or painters specifically because I really don't know that many 
just to learn about how she's approached her creative side and also the business side. And she has just had so much success in both of those areas. She's soaring like a rocket eagle. And she's young. Yeah. Yeah. She's 25. Yep. And she has a, a amazing harrowing story, really. Her story, this is a very honest story. I admired how willing she was to talk about herself in ways that was so truthful. She had done so much self-reflection and her willingness to put it on the table has been in part what opened up this whole part of her artistic career. Yeah. yeah this whole year of 2023 so far, all the guests have been really open and honest and it's uh, it's really connecting with people. Isn't that interesting? I don't know that, like this isn't something that we consciously have changed in 2023 in you know, speaking to people before they come on the interview and encouraging, encouraging them to just lay it all out on the table. But I think starting with Matt May's episode, who certainly wore his heart on his sleeve, yeah. did exactly what we knew it would in that it encouraged others, not just our guests, but lots of people we heard from to be open and honest with themselves. And Chanel is another person who I know People will hear her story and it will just connect with them in such a deep way. Yeah, and we're we're lucky to get these people in here to chat with and just to, to hear them. It, obviously, like I listen to lots of podcasts and just love having conversations with people. But in this intimate environment, being that close to people, like we're three feet away having these, these really deep conversations for an hour and a half, it just... It really hits home. And we are one of the few podcasts that I know of that so far have done 100% of our interviews in person. That's why we're the best podcast uh, in the world. <laughs> we might have to switch it up eventually, but... <laughs> yeah, we're going to run out of people in Nova Scotia eventually. Yeah, but yes, I agree. We've been so fortunate to meet everyone that has entered this space. And uh, I'm really excited to share this episode of Chanel's story. Yeah, let's just jump right into it. Uh, thanks for listening, folks. Anyways. But it now serves a bigger purpose in that if a guest ever needs to take a little time out, we can fill the space with right. our singing. Yeah. <laughs> so how are you doing? Chanel. Yes. Is um, that how you say your name? Yes. I want to make, make sure we're, we're saying it properly. <laughs> I joked to Mike earlier that when you came that you should, that he should say hi channel and just Many test your do. reaction. Really? Yeah. I just let it, okay, I've gotten to the point where I just let it happen. I don't often correct them, but I just let it happen and it's okay. It is what wow. It is. This was just a joke, really. I wasn't expecting this to be a common thing. Yeah. And I always got, in school, I got Chantel and Janelle. And there's always a mysterious T, even in emails where my name is right there, they add the T and it's pretty funny. <laughs> They're like, no, no, I think I know what you really meant to say. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I just let it slide. Names are a weird thing. For for some reason, my first name is Mike and my last name is Ryan. And having a last name that is also a first name really confuses people. Yeah, you're called Ryan a lot. And your middle name's Steven, which I guess most often people's middle names are also, a, could be a first mm -hmm. name. But. but it offends some people. 
I may have told this story on here before, but I remember uh, playing a show in Banff and selling merch afterwards. And this girl was at the merch table. Yeah, I'd love to grab a CD. And so I passed her the CD and she's like, yeah, great sets. And she's like, what's your name? I'm Mike. She's like, what's your last name? Ryan. She's like, Mike Ryan? I'm like, yeah, that that's my name. And she put the CD down and left. Oh, weird. Yeah. I'm not sure I understand the... I don't either. That's why I'm bringing it up today. Maybe there's some some listener out there will understand the psychology of that and Perhaps. explain it to us. Well, we love your name. Are you named after anyone that you know no. of? My sister named me. I was pretty... Well, she was pretty young, and she came home from school one day and said, Mom, I know what to name the baby. So she got to name me. I have no idea where it came from. So. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. So where where are you? where did you grow up? I grew up in the Bridgewater area. I went to Hebville School. Now I live in West Clifford. <laughs> and you're an artist. Yes, I'm an artist. You have a fine arts degree. Yes, kind of weird to say I'm an artist, but I guess that's true now. <laughs> you own a s- gallery and a studio. Well, I've I had some issues with my landlord, and that's a big, huge story. But tell us his name. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm sure many people know who he is, but I just, like, the universe was telling me and giving me all of these signs that it wasn't the right location, so I've closed for the time being, and we'll see what comes up, but the ceiling exploded, and there were lawyers involved, and it got a little messy, and, and I got really sick, so it was like my body also was just telling me it's time, like... Get out. Yeah, and I don't regret the decision, but... I because I gained so much from it. I learned what I really don't want to do in the future or how I don't want to run a business. And I also learned what I really love and what I need to look into more, which is who I went from. <laughs> well, I think those those <clears throat> moments in time, those hard moments are really what define us as a person. Mm-hmm. And they help point us in the direction of what we're supposed to go towards and Sometimes you think you're on the right path, but something happens that points you in another direction. And then pretty shortly, you're like, yeah, this is this is what I'm supposed to do. Or this is where I'm supposed to be. And yeah, going through hard things in the moment when it's happening obviously isn't what you want to be doing. But I think that's what creates character within people and allows us to become what we're supposed to be. Yeah. Well, it, it also created a moment because I knew that about a year ago I wouldn't have allowed myself to step back or close for the time being. I would have made myself push through from the like from the I shoulds or I should do this, which really isn't a place to ever make a good decision from the I shoulds. So I'm I'm glad that it happened. I met so many wonderful people and created and sold so much art that it was crazy. It was kind of like a whirlwind of a summer. But at the same time, I'm really proud of myself that I was able to to let go. What what shifted in that time frame that helped you have that change in your mindset? I think it was, well, I got really sick. And I was going to the bathroom like 16 times a day. Nobody could figure out why I was sick. Nobody could figure out really what was wrong. It was showing up as like Crohn's disease. And I just knew 
that it was no longer serving me. And I had to trust my instinct and my gut and trust that the universe would kind of lead me in a different direction. So, How important is using those experiences? I'll, I'll call them bad experiences. There's lots of words that we could use. How has that helped shape your creativity? A lot. <laughs> um, I think recently I've realized that there are no good or bad decisions. They're kind of just decisions. And we learn so much from what we'd consider a bad decision or a good one. And the fact that it it leads us somewhere, no matter what. You just make the decision and you go for it. And then you learn from whatever outcome. And I think you made an important distinction earlier about, I know who I don't want to be. Yeah. And sometimes <laughs> we can get, it, it's hard sometimes to figure out exactly who am I? That's a big question. And, and I know as a painter, especially, you, you, your work often is representative of who you are. So mm. if that is left to figure out, it's hard to know what to put on canvas. Yeah. But knowing who you're not is such a great stepping stone, at least towards that. I think that's the first, one of the first things, if you're trying to figure out who you are, is the easiest way to begin is to figure out what I really dislike doing, people I really dislike spending my time with, and kind of lay out all of those no's, and then that kind of opens up the yeses for you. But until you know who you really are, it's hard to produce anything as an artist. Do you feel that... It took you to the last few years to really know who you are? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think the last two years of my life have been pretty huge and just discovering, oh, I, exactly who I am. And I'm sure there's still lots to learn, but... Of course, yeah. And did you feel your art has changed as you were finding out who you are? Yeah. So before I knew, I was actually creating drawings. I was selling prints for about $30, and uh, my originals were like $175. And I would go around to farmer's markets all the time. I'd drag my artwork, and I sold drawings of tourist locations in Nova Scotia, which I didn't really have any kind of personal connection to. I just knew it was something that I might be able to sell, which really isn't a good place to make art from. And I didn't sell much of anything. I was really frustrated for a long time, but discovering who I was or figuring out the things that I really loved to do and didn't like led me to this whole process of working on canvas and my work just exploded. And so for the benefit of our listeners, can you describe more or less what your work maybe looks like now or what, what it is representative of that feels more meaningful to you? So my work now, I always say I create lines. Um, that's kind of like my elevator pitch. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> um, if you say you're an artist, people are kind of like, oh, God. But uh, I always say I make lines and um, I draw blind contour um, on canvas. So that means I draw without looking at the paper, and that, to me, is a meditation practice. So that's a way for me to to connect with myself and be really mindful of what I'm creating. So I draw first on canvas with pencil, and then 
I dilute pigment and add it in with like a brush or I pour it. And then a lot of the colors in my paintings are actually chalk, which people don't um, realize. It's not paint. If you wet chalk pastel, you can actually paint with them. And they become this super fun, really messy um, material. So, for example, if you were doing figure drawing and there was a body in front of you, you would be fixated on the body and drawing without looking at the canvas in the shape that you're drawing. Yeah. That's so cool. It's a technique that I learned in university. And when I first learned it, I hated it. And I hated my teacher so (laughs) much. Her name was Dr. Janice Flood. And if you didn't call her doctor, she'd kick you out of the class. And we spent a whole year drawing blind contour. So without looking at the paper, and she'd make us draw our thumb under a a magnifying glass for an hour. I'm not even kidding. It was crazy. And it's I like karate kid style training. Yeah, it was intense and I hated her. And I <laughs> like I almost failed the class. And then I watched it trickle into my work as time went on. And now I'm just in love with it. I can't really draw any other way. And what do you think of Dr. Wood now? <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to find her. I don't know. She was quite old. She was like 70 when she was my teacher. I don't know if she's still around or if she's still at Concordia, but I'd really love to find her because she was huge and in creating my practice. So Dr. Wood, if you're listening out there, <laughs> shoot us a message and we'd like to have you on. We'll Maybe get your you side of the story. We yeah. won't have a debate here with <laughs> Chanel. Like, let's, let's get heavy. I'm here. sure she could tell you lots. We didn't have a great relationship, but... <laughs> but I, there's something to be said for that repetitive practice, though, yeah. it seems. Uh-huh. And then it was just in you. Yeah, it was there. She put it in me. And now it's just... What I learned was... When we draw while looking at the paper, we're drawing what we think or want to see, not what we're actually seeing. So it's a really fun practice. Even if you're not used to drawing, it can be quite hilarious to sit with somebody. But it's also an opportunity to sit with your partner at dinner and like see them for who they are. If you're just drawing on a napkin, you get you don't often look into the eyes of someone like that or see they're like see them for who they are completely see all the details and all of the little what they think are imperfections but are quite beautiful and then being able to witness that is an an experience so you are drawing a few years back uh pictures of places around nova scotia that you Mm. think other people will like (laughs) so you're you're essentially catering to your audience, mm-hmm. and then you the, you make this shift where you do what you want, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden people start to take notice. Yeah, and I started drawing from experiences that I had in my life, like hard situations or hard times. It became a way for me to process them. Yeah, and then people started really relating or seeing parts of themselves in the paintings, and. A lot of what I do, the best part of what I do is being able to hold those stories for people who connect to my work. It's not even really the painting. Someone comes in and they automatically, from viewing my work, they feel safe and connected and they kind of have a moment of self-reflection and then they they share a lot of hard, difficult stories with me and I'm able to hold that for them. I think this is amazing because... 
Well, we'll we'll get into how your your work is helping people and affecting them, but I'm just still really intrigued by the fact that a lot of people who create think they have to create for other people, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, okay, this style of music is popular right now, so I better play this or. People are buying this type of art, so I have to do this. But when you were doing that, you said you weren't having much success. No, I was. There were days that I barely covered my table at farmers markets, and yeah. I would go to things like the Halifax Forum, and it was like everything I was doing wasn't aligned with who I am. I'm yeah. not the kind of person to stand at the Halifax Forum, and there's some people who love it, and that's great. But I came home and my partner would look at me and be like, it just looks like you went on a three-day drug bender. Like, are you okay? Because I'm a huge (laughs) introvert and it just wasn't for me. But I thought that's what I needed to do to make money. And and what made you shift and say, screw it. I am doing what I want to do. And were you scared? Like, what? (laughs) I found a mentor, actually. Yeah. And... It changed my life. It was about a year ago in February, so I haven't even been painting like this for a year. Um, So I found her, and I remember I had to make the decision by a certain time to join her her program and be under her wing. And I was in my bedroom, or in the studio that was a bedroom, and I was, like, hyperventilating on the floor, freaking out, because the program was, like, $16,000. It was more money than I had ever even Uh. seen in my life. I had $1,000 in my bank account, enough to pay for the first month. And Aiden came up the stairs, my partner, and he's like, I thought that was the forced air. Like, what's going on? (laughs) And I was just having a huge panic attack. It was not the the forced Mm -hmm. air, because I knew in my body that, I had to do this if I really wanted to figure out who I was or like get out of this loop. I had to do it. But the money thing was like, holy crap. And I was terrified as well because you never know what you're going to discover. You never know who you're actually going to be. And that's terrifying. So I did. I took the leap and I was able to pay for the program, which was really great. And it just kind of unfolded a million things for me. Hey, Kristen, do you know what's awesome? What, Mike? Real food bars. Mmm, they're so delicious. They are delicious. I take them on my runs with me because they're such clean fuel. Like you're out on the track and you open up a bar while you're running? Yeah, just tear it open right there on the spot. That's versatile. They source all local ingredients. All local? So they call themselves Made with Local because they support so many local farmers and food makers. Where are those farmers based out of that they support? Nova Scotia. Holy smokes, this is (laughs) getting even better and better. Where can you buy their products? So they still manufacture in Nova Scotia, but you can find their product all across Canada now. This is unreal. And they started out as just a small table at a farmer's market and have now achieved B Corp certification. That sounds pretty fancy. Yeah, they have tons of delicious flavors. I'm partial to anything with peanut butter and chocolate, as you know, but they also have lemon and blueberry, uh, gingerbread for the holidays. Oh, man, they are pretty darn delicious and healthy. Like when I eat like seven in a row, if I ate seven Mars bars, you know, I'd feel like I was going to die. But I eat seven of those and I feel like I can take over the world. Yeah, you could lift a car after that. 
Yeah, you get this like power in your bones. Made with local. And where can we find these bars and all the great products they create? So I usually pick up my real food bars just at our local grocery store, but they're also found in lots of health food stores, gas stations, and little markets across the country. They are doing awesome, and they taste awesome, nutritious, and delicious real food bars. Real food bars. Made with local. Made with local. This is an incredible story already. (laughs) I, I, I already feel just so happy that you're here and... And that advice alone feels like art 101 to me is just being true to yourself. Yeah. I wrote my master's thesis on the work. It was inspired by German philosophy, which sounds a bit obscure when we're talking about creativity. But I applied it to the idea of capitalism and the industrialization of art. And like Mike was saying earlier, a lot of people find themselves in the trap of recognizing what's popular and feeling like, well, if I want to make a go at this, this is the thing that I have to make mm-hmm. because it's going to be the thing that pays the bill. And before long, everything kind of looks alike. I feel like when I look at your work, there's a real consistent energy to it. And knowing that that is representative of your story now mm-hmm. in such a deep, meaningful way just brings it all the more power. So I want to know... Was the artist in you, is that something you feel you were born with? Or was it rather something that in your self-discovery was a way of kind of therapy through that process? I think I was definitely born with it. I was a super creative child. And I was also born with wanting to work for myself. <laughs> like I've been fired from almost every single job I've had. <laughs> almost every single one. And it was like the universe was telling me, no, no, no. Like we need to sort this out before we let you do this. Like you can't work for someone else. And I never understood why I was fired from all of them. It was devastating to me. Um, but as a kid, I mean, I would make people bring their Christmas presents over to my house and pay me to wrap them. And like, <laughs> I went through this phase where I would make cards and I still remember making my first $100 bill because I would sell them at like the, the local mall and just beads and all of this stuff all of the time. So it was definitely in me. It just, as artists, we're always taught that we have to have a backup or we need to have a backup job or we have to be a teacher even in university, they tell us, like, you're not actually going to make money from this. We're going to be these starving artists and life is going to be difficult. But it's all going to be worth it because you get to create this magic and that's how you're supposed to feel. But it really doesn't have to be that way. And I discovered that this year and that it can be profitable and that you can live the big life that you want to. You just have to live it from a place of alignment and from truly you. What was the course you took? <laughs> <laughs> Her name is Jessica Saran. She, um, she's originally from Ontario, but she lives yeah. in Prague now. So it was a nine-month course. It cost me $16,000, and we met every week. But there was also, like, workbooks that you work through. And she was, like, I'm going to continue working with her. Yeah. Um, she was great. And that is what inspired you to, to take the leap? Yeah, for sure. And um, like it was always there, but I didn't know the how. And again, I was just, it felt like I was forcing it all of the time. But when I found this method, then it kind of opened up the world of 
these beliefs that I had, like the set of beliefs, we're not born as a child with, like we don't come out of the womb believing we're not enough or we're not beautiful or we can't make money. At some point in our lives, we're we're all taught that from someone or some experience. So having to to work through all of those beliefs and that belief system and kind of tear it down and figure out how can I move forward and going from a place of selling an original for $175 and then working to a place where I'm comfortable selling a painting for $5,000 now. It was a lot of work to get there, but it just feels like when you're able to recognize um, what your work actually does, then you're comfortable asking for a good amount of money for it. I want to ask more about this metamorphosis in as you're learning about yourself how that then translated to a new style like was it did that feel natural and automatic to you or like what what was that relationship like I always wanted to work on canvas and I thought I was stuck working on paper because I thought real artists worked on canvas and that I had to use paint and I really don't like paint. So when I first joined the program and started working with her, she was like, what if you just drew on canvas? And I was like, what do you mean? Like, that's not allowed. There are so many unwritten rules as an artist. Like, you can't draw on canvas. What? That's impossible. So I got a piece of canvas, but I always had the trouble of the white of the canvas. Like, it's daunting. So I got a piece of raw canvas, which is like more cream. Mm-hmm. And I just drew. And I had recently gone through something um, like pretty traumatic in my life. I had an abortion. And that's not something that I spoke to my family about at all. But it was something my partner and I went through. Like we were not ready to have a baby at all. But when it happened, it was like this sadness of loss. But at the same time, I had never experienced relief at the same time. And it was just so strange. And I sat in front of the canvas and I was like, what do I make? And I drew my hands and I drew my partner's hands and he had picked me this flower when it had happened and I kept the flower. So I brought the flower out and I drew it on the canvas and it just, it just went from there. And then I remember I kept it to myself for quite a while and I was sitting in the tub and I was like, oh, I'm just going to post it, but I'm going to Post it at some outrageous price so no one will buy it because I really love it. And someone messaged me within three minutes of me posting this painting. And he's a good friend of mine, but he was just like, I need to have this. I don't know what it's about. And I didn't share what it was about. I just I just shared it. And he was like, I need to have this. And I was close enough with him at the time that I felt comfortable sharing what had happened with him. And now it hangs in his home. But that's kind of what started it all. And... Now I have this huge connection to nature and healing and and that really comes through my work. How do you, do you approach each painting now with the intention of it being a healing piece? I sit in front of the canvas and I just kind of say, like I actually say it out loud, what needs to be released today and whether if it's, At first, it was about me. It was what I needed to release. And then as I worked and I didn't feel like I had anything left to release, it started feeling like it was being released for other people. And then these paintings would find people and they would be like, oh my God, this was made for me. So it's kind of this strange 
thing with the universe, whether if it's released from my experience or someone else's or the divine, I don't know. But. That's really curious because often, especially if we're using art therapeutically, the, the hope I imagine is that you reach a point where this has worked. I'm, I'm feeling better. Mm-hmm. Yet you risk kind of losing a bit of that muse. So having the intentions of others in mind is yet another creative expression for you. Mm-hmm. How have you found, we, we spoke a little bit earlier before we started recording about trauma and how likely we have all experienced some version of that. And if you're someone listening that feels like that's not you, we use the pandemic as an example that we've all experienced something that's out of the ordinary or challenging that pushes those boundaries. Do you feel like having those life experiences is necessary to have the importance of the message that you're conveying? I think that even if we don't recognize them, they're there. Even if it's something in your life that happened as a young child that you don't quite see right now underneath the layers, there's usually something there. And if you're able to tap into that, then that's really what makes it your story and makes it unique and makes your work unique. Do you think anyone can do that? Yeah. 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 Do you teach art? Um, I've taught some blind contour drawing off and on, but not yet. Mm -hmm. Does that interest you? I don't know. Maybe in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, I really thought I was going to be a teacher. I didn't quite love the idea of it, but I thought I had to be. So we'll see. (laughs) So... Once you put that painting up for the ridiculous price as you <laughs> described there, and someone bought it, mm-hmm. that kind of became what you're doing. I'm going to create paintings and put them at this. This isn't a ridiculous price point. <laughs> this is what they're worth. And and uh, thing about art, which is kind of hard to really, I guess, pinpoint or grasp or however you want to put it, but is is putting a price on things. Yeah. And how is something that Van Gogh created worth $20 million now, and when he created it, no one gave a shit about it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's crazy that we we attach the value to something. And it seems like in your case, <clears throat> the value that went, that when you put up the value, it's almost like you're saying, it's, it's like your self-worth has grown. Like you've stepped into this place as a person. Like I think I'm worth this now. And Kristen, obviously, you can speak to this as well. And this is something you've kind of, I think, struggled with figuring out how to price your pieces. And like, why is a piece worth ten thousand dollars and not a hundred dollars? I think every artist struggles at some point in their career with pricing, in part. Because of what you were saying earlier about going through this mentorship program and and really um, being aware of the things that you grow up learning and money stuff Mm -hmm. and value is really embedded in our belief system. And I know especially coming from a poor family in rural Nova Scotia, like nobody's going to be spending $5,000 on a painting. That's crazy. Yep. But you learn and you have such a beautiful reflection, Chanel, about figuring out 
your own self-worth, your own value, and, and what that means to someone else. And it's beyond the image just on the canvas. It's what it represents. It's how it makes somebody feel. It's how it makes them think. It's that daily reminder. So there's kind of this duality of value in grappling with how much should I charge for this? How much did my paint cost? How long did it take me to make? Like these types of variables, I guess, have to factor in to some extent, or they used to. But like you, I'm I'm trying to really embrace what my worth, what my value means to me and how it can be received by others. But yes, pricing is something I think is a question, at least I receive more from external sources. Mm -hmm. And people are very curious about length of time it takes me to create a piece. And I I think, I, I'm assuming here, but I think it's because there's a relationship between time and money that we all mutually understand, and that's why that comes up. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to that from your experience? I've had to completely disconnect myself through judging how much time and pricing that way because when I create, I get a little manic, and like I it's almost obsessive. So I will be in there for like five hours and I produce a whole painting and it's done. And people will come to a show and they'll be like, oh, this is, you know, this is like two years of work. You know, I'm like, no, it's a couple months. Like I just get really manic and it kind of pours out of me. But it's also all of the other things that go into it. You're You're putting all of your past experiences in there you're putting your education, you're like, you're taking the time, usually as artists, unless you have a team, you're marketing yourself, you're doing all of that. But it's hard to really disconnect yourself from that price, because there's no price on you, you are not worth the $5,000 or the 175. What I what turned things around for me was realizing I used to think that people didn't actually need art. Like they would just go to winners and put something up in their house. But when you realize that art can actually change someone's life, my painting in their home isn't just something that they look at. This has an influence on every single day of their life and how they live now. And that's worth something. So, I mean, yes, of course you have to factor in how much it costs for you to live. And that's something as artists, which, like, we're not really taught. It doesn't matter if we can pay our bills as artists. Apparently, that's what we're told. But it's also, like, when I was painting in the summer, things started to go pretty crazy, and I couldn't keep up. So then I felt that I was producing work that was just to be sold, mm -hmm. and it didn't feel good. And I had to step back and say, okay, there's a big demand for my work, how do I go back to creating less paintings that feel like they're coming from a meaningful place and make the money I need to make? And that's increasing my prices, which slowed things down for me a bit. But now I only have to focus on selling like one, two paintings a month, which feels a lot better than having to sell 100 prints. When did the gallery come into your life? Um... At about April of last year. And then we opened. I had business partners, which unfortunately weren't really aligned. I discovered down the road we weren't aligned, and that's okay. We both went separate directions. Um, 
but it it was a beautiful experience. I met so many great people, and it was really great. You said you feel like you were creative out of the womb. <laughs> um, what was your your family like? Are there creative people in your family? Um, my mom was always creative, not in the sense that she painted, but she was always like sewing or fixing something and and my father's side there are definitely some creative people from that side so it was within my family and I had a really strange childhood and I kind of like from the outside we were a family that looked perfect I mean we were rich we were wealthy we had a pool and it kind of goes to show that you never know what's going on but behind someone's doors because I was a child who had everything. I received everything I wanted. <clears throat> but at home, I had a really abusive father. And that was something that I struggled with as a child because I was not the one that was being abused. I was witnessing it happening to my sister and my mom. And I was the peacekeeper of the family. So I was always the one trying to like keep their relationships and keep things comfortable and calm. I remember I would like lay on my dog's mat on the kitchen floor and cover her ears whenever my, my parents fought because that was my job to keep the peace. And at some point, like when you grow up with that, you don't realize that it's wrong. And at some point it just got, it got really bad in the, and I would wonder every night, like are my, are my parents, or was my sister and my mom going to be here when I wake up? And I don't necessarily know, like, I don't remember a lot of my childhood, but I know at some point it got bad enough that I was the one who had to call the police and they came. And it was a really difficult experience because I had a close relationship with my father, even though he was abusive and still is verbally abusive today. Um, I think he just, he went through a lot of trauma himself, himself and that got passed on to us, unfortunately, but... I remember him coming up the stairs and looking me in the face and he was just like, I'll never love you again. And that stuck with me as a child and a teenager for so long because I had this great relationship with him, even though he did terrible things. So we left the house and um, my mom, like we, we went from children who had everything to watching my mom worry if we were going to eat next week. And I was so angry. I didn't understand why that was happening. I mean, I was like 10 and 11. And I just couldn't get why I couldn't have that new shiny camera as a teenager or something. So I grew up really angry. I was mean. Like, people wouldn't, wouldn't connect that now to me. But I was a mean. I was mean to my mom because I didn't understand. I was angry. I was sad. I didn't know how to process any of those things. It was a lot. <laughs> Your self-awareness now is so powerful. Like be Not only being able to talk about these experiences, but say things like, I was a mean person yeah. and, and, and own that. Because it seems like now you have such a peaceful, loving energy about you. Do you feel like having had that past has shaped these aspects of who you are now that seem so different. Yeah, I think so. And, and just recognizing, like I didn't, in the moment, you don't realize that you're an angry, mean person or that you're an asshole to your mom. But I went to university and I struggled. Like I was sad for so long. I got really sick in my first year. I 
was like unable to eat. I was 90 pounds and it wasn't an image thing. It was just, I didn't have the energy to eat and I didn't know if I was going to live. Like it just got really shitty and really dark. And I remember I was on Kijiji one day and I found a dog on Kijiji and I kind of, I had a golden retriever when I was younger and I messaged and I was like, are there any girls left? And he replied and he was like, yes, there's one girl and she's waiting for you. And I was like, oh shit, I'm going to get a dog. <laughs> <laughs> so I rented a car and I drove to the outskirts of Montreal and I picked up this puppy and I would recommend someone, like if you're getting a dog, definitely look into it more than I did because she was nuts. Puppies are crazy. Mm. But when you watch an animal, they... The things they do, they they eat, they clean themselves, they play, they go outside, they eat again, they nap in the sun, and then they go to bed or around there. And so I got this dog, and I, at the time I couldn't even get out of bed. So I followed what the dog did. She needed to go outside, I went outside. She needed to eat, I ate. So I did everything the dog did, and like when she laid in the sun... I laid in the sun. I napped. Mm. And from there, like I, one day at a time, I just, I healed through this dog and discovered this big world. So she definitely saved my life. <laughs> this is an amazing story. First of all, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry that you, you had a deal with, with that, that, those childhood things that you wish no one ever has to go through. And that's, mm. you, now like uh, until you said that i would never have guessed that obviously like you you are a young professional artist who is doing amazing things and this story with the an animal kind of <laughs> bringing you back around to showing you what it's like to live life is just i i don't know this is just an amazing story how how do animals i <laughs> It's hard. To, so Mike and I foster animals from the SPCA and I find on my worst day, if I can interact with an animal, it's one of the only things that brings me a little bit of comfort. Mm -hmm. I think it's because they don't talk like that's yeah. part of like, <laughs> I feel like the communication can be just what I need for it to be and just their presence and You'll, you'll often hear that someone who's going through a hard time just wants you to listen. Yeah. And often we get advice instead of just a listening ear, which is, you know, pe people have good intentions. Mm -hmm. Animals just seem to be able to fill that role in such a natural, organic way. Yeah. Do you feel like, and, and so with that in mind, and, and I'm asking you this almost selfishly because knowing that connection with animals, I've often thought to myself, like, why doesn't this play a more obvious role in my creative life? But I don't feel drawn to, say, paint animal portraits. Mm -hmm. So I'm almost looking for a way to honor that connection or relationship. But hearing this story for you, it's almost like this more personal underground part of you that, again, isn't necessarily translated onto canvas, but does so much for you as a person and as an artist so have you ever I, I don't know like have you ever thought about using that power of your relationship with your dog and making it into something maybe more literal mm -hmm. so I think the relationship 
with my dog allowed me to have that relationship with everything in nature. Not a dog, a tree even, just to be um, really grateful and present with anything in nature and take lessons from it, whether if it's a flower or an animal. But I did, I have created a painting called The Dog Days. Um, so one thing I love to do with my dog is go to the beach and I drew like her paw within the painting and it's kind of hidden so that it's not so in your face, but it's there. And um, that's that's kind of my ode to her and a thank you for what she's done for me. Mm. And she's still with you? Yeah. Her yeah. name's Maggie and she's, um, she's four and a half and she's just a monster. <laughs> <laughs> what, so what have you been working on lately? Um, I am painting. One of the things I did in the summer to kind of prepare for the winter was I took all of my commissions through the summer and kept them for the winter. And now I'm kind of working through my commissions. And um, I'm headed to Europe in March for a couple months. Cool. And um, just kind of working on connecting back to me again and, and going from there. Is it a constant practice for you? Like, are you always checking in with yourself? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, constantly. Um, some You realize when you get out of alignment and, and it's like, okay, I need to go back to the beginning. Um, I need to go back through this. And is that something that you've learned to do yourself or do you seek the help of your mentor? I still seek the help of my mentor and mm-hmm. like I just renewed my contract to work with her again mm-hmm. and it's nice to have that person there. I Now I have the tools to do that self-reflection myself but um, it is always nice to be able to have someone if you need it. When you go to Europe are you doing a residency or have you rented gallery space? What's that? So I did apply for a residency yeah. in Italy. I don't hear back until next week. Okay. Um but I created a postcard subscription to do while I'm away, um, which is kind of a way to connect with people through without using social media or our cell phones. And I'm just painting postcards and writing letters to people, and I'm going to eat a lot of food. <laughs> <laughs> it is Italy, after yes. all. <laughs> do you feel inspired every day? No. No? <laughs> Not every day. There, That's one thing that people don't realize is they think that what you do is going to be super easy. But I have resistance every single day to painting or to going in the studio every day, no matter what. I wake up with resistance. I'm like, oh, I don't want to get in the studio today. But I'm like, I talk to my resistance. It shows up and I'm like, oh, resistance, you're you're right on time. Like you're always here. And thank you for trying to keep me safe and small, but we're going to do this anyway. And then I just get my ass out of bed. And even if you sit in the studio and you don't do anything, you showed up. And that, that counts. Have you read Stephen Pressfield's The the War of Art? Um, Actually, I have not. That's basically exactly what you're just describing. Yeah, like, it was on my read list for yeah. this month, actually. So. Yeah, he talks about resistance and the, the muse and just... You just showing up is overcoming it, like mm-hmm. pretty much exactly how you worded it there. But yeah, we, I think I, f- I feel inspired a lot of the time, but I, I think I know how to inspire myself if I'm not there. Yeah. I think that's a way to overcome resistance. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, 
if I don't feel like creating today, I'm going to go for a walk in the woods or whatever it may be. And I think knowing those ways to overcome the resistance allows you to be inspired. Not whatever you want, but Mm -hmm. it helps you get in that direction. Yeah. There's something that I learned this year. It's kind of like getting yourself into the flow and connecting that with an activity. So something that's easy that you really enjoy doing, whether if that for me, it's getting outside as soon as I wake up and walking my dog, even if it's for like 10 minutes. And that gets me into the mindset of I'm ready to work productively. And then I just go in the studio, work for a couple hours and I'm done for the day. That's it. Do you have a schedule you follow, like a, I try a daily? To. I try to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's hard because as an artist, you have to keep things organized. You have to keep the computer work and the admin work separate. And that's one thing that I'm working on is hiring someone to do that for me um, so that I can spend more time doing the things that I love and and make me money that way. Counter to the feedback from some of your professors are you making a living exclusively from selling paintings? Yes. I love this. <laughs> this is so awesome. I even had a painter recently tell me, like, there's not, like, no way will you be able to it's make possible. a living off just making paintings. And I thought, well, like, fair. I, mm-hmm. I'm willing to do other types of things. But I think that's, I yeah. think it's possible. I think it's definitely possible. So at the beginning, last February, I had created a goal to make $48,000 in the year from just my artwork. And I was like, this is crazy. This is outrageous. And in February, I'll have hit six figures from just art. So Incredible. It's definitely Amazing. possible. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're proud of you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it where, is possible. Where's your audience? Is it Nova Scotia or um, everywhere? I sell paintings. They get shipped to South Carolina, um, different parts of the world, Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. But a lot of it is people who I've kind of nurtured and created great relationships with and that we trust each other. We I still meet for dinner with some of my clients just because I love them so much. It's it's interesting because when my painting goes to a home, I've actually said no to people. <laughs> people who have wanted to buy work and it just didn't feel good that the work was going to their home or to that energy, and I've just said that it's not available right now. I'm, I'm sorry. And you know when, because it's a piece of you, and it's going to uh, a home forever, and you really want it to to be there. So I've done a commission for someone before, and they showed up, and they were like, oh. And they, they didn't love it, and I was like, that's okay. Like, I'll, I'll sell this painting. It's not a big deal. Like, yeah. please don't take this. <laughs> yes. But they wanted it. They were like, no, I paid for it. We're taking this home. I have no idea if the painting's on the wall or if it's in a basement somewhere. And it haunts me. Because it mm. really didn't matter with the money. It was just like, I need to know this is going. Because I love this piece. And if you don't, that's perfectly fine. But I, I don't know. <laughs> How does food factor in to your work. And I ask that because I know that you've done some events mm-hmm. that are centric with food being, uh, yeah. having a seat at the table. So at on the 26th of this month, I have a client dinner which, or a collector's dinner, which I invited everyone who has purchased a piece of artwork for me this year to come to my home. And we just have dinner and we sit around the table and there's no artwork on the walls. It's not to sell work. It's just simply to say, thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, the dinner table is huge for me and food is huge for me to eat healthy food with people you love and 
the table is such a place for deep conversation. And as an introvert, it's also a place if you don't feel like talking, you just eat and it's fine. You don't have to you don't have to engage. Mm-hmm. And I am a massive introvert and I still love those dinners. Is the dinner table symbolic of community? Like what does that represent to you? I think it's a safe place. Mm-hmm. Um, as a child, we always ate dinner together. Okay. And it came back to everything was okay when everyone was at the dinner table. There was no mm-hmm. fighting. There was no one being hurt. It's a safe place. And it's where we all come together at the end of the day. So that still comes out in my, my life. We found when we first started doing podcasting, our intentions i suppose it it was part just because we wanted to like oh it would be fun to do a podcast but we recognized that it would be an opportunity to talk about the work that we do and perhaps garner a bigger audience but quickly realized it was far more <laughs> than that it was about having people like you come in to learn from to be inspired by, to hear your story. And I mean, just making eye contact with Mike during this conversation we're having in real time is like, wow, this woman is incredible. Her story, (laughs) your resilience. Like I can feel that from Mike because he's my husband and we're sitting across from each other. And I know that you're having this shared experience with me right now, listening to you speak. And it's interesting to think about being an introvert and still being able to share that communal sense of energy with others and you're creating that like you're you're putting yourself in that situation even (laughs) and so it really speaks to the power of community and belonging and bringing people together with that shared interest and and how you've been able to use things like the story of your dog and your uh, desire for healthy communal food That doesn't have to be a painting you make, Mm -hmm. but you've found ways to integrate those things that are important to you into your life as an artist. Yeah. I love that. I think once you realize what you really love to do, it's not, for me, it's not even really painting. It's, I love bringing people together. I love feeling connected. I love um, making people feel safe. And that comes through in anything I decide to do. And in kind of artist world, we call it our zone of genius And whether or not you choose to paint or you hold a dinner, it doesn't matter because what you're doing is coming from a place, coming from a place of alignment within you. And that means no matter what you do, it's going to serve your community, whether if it's painting or. Yeah. Or not. (laughs) Do you feel safe now? Yeah. In your life? Yeah, I do. Um, I have a really great partner and. Mm we're completely different. <laughs> like I'm I'm massively introverted, but if you put me in a situation like at a party, I'll hide in the corner. And if you sit me down with a group of people that I'm comfortable with and you share your dark desires with me, like I'm fully open. It's it's um I'm not I'm not always a person who doesn't want to talk. It's just I'm not super outgoing, I guess. And my partner is massively, he's on like the opposite scale of me. He's 110% all of the time, which is quite hilarious. And we kind of balance each other out, but we also have this thing, it's called closed door time. <laughs> so 
so so when I've had like my I've got I've reached my limit I'm like okay I need some closed door time and that's when I shut the bedroom door and it's like don't come in here until I'm ready to come out and that's how we deal with things because I love him to death he's like he's out there he's great he's hilarious and he's super fun but as an introvert sometimes I need a little break but alone time is important to everyone and Mm -hmm. We had our, our last guest, one of our last guests, uh, Dr. Mal. She was talking about how yeah. that's such an important thing for her. And I think everyone needs it to some extent. Like you yeah. doesn't mean you don't care about the other person. <laughs> yeah. You just need a few minutes to, yeah. you know, think to yourself or not think at all, whatever it is you need mm-hmm. to do. So it sounds like you have an, an amazing relationship that's supportive and yeah. you're doing awesome things which again Kristen saying that a lot of artists are told and you yourself you were told that it's impossible to make a, a living solely as an artist and you're making as much as <laughs> some doctors <laughs> in the province yeah. basically yeah. so that's <clears throat> uh that's quite an accomplishment and yeah it's really nice because as creative people I don't like I'm sure you guys relate but I really like doing nothing a lot. Like I, there's, I like going to the beach or like sitting. (laughs) I need a lot of doing nothing time. Recharge, refresh. Yeah, exactly. When you pour so much of yourself into something, it's like, whoa, okay, I need some, some quiet time or just like time to not work and owning your own business like making a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand dollars a year doesn't mean you have to be working more than, 40 hours a week and being able to create a business that really aligns for what for how you want to live like that allowed me like I haven't worked more than 30 hours a week I just I can't I need to do things like go to the beach with my dog I need to put my feet on the earth and those are things that are really important to me but those those aspects that that you need are part of your work yeah yeah. I uh, when what what I do, I I'm like, well, I need a, I need to be inspired. Like <laughs> I need to go on a trip around the Cabot Trail or something. And I'm not like counting. Go, I just work four hours because I drove the Cabot Trail. <laughs> but it's creative people do need that in their life mm-hmm. because we need to take inspiration from the outside world, and we need to read books and watch movies and consume art in other ways and just come across interesting people, things that just work their way into our our, our soul in some yeah. way so it can come back out in the creative expression that we choose. So you're saying you're, you work maybe 30 hours directly on the canvas yeah. and doing paperwork, <laughs> but those other hours are you're you're consuming i guess the world in a way in which you can relate it back to others yeah that's very true and we recently moved to this place called west clifford in the middle of nowhere um but it has no internet access yet like internet does not get there they told me they could give us something called rural connect which is pretty hilarious it would take like three days to load a video (laughs) and i was like no it's not worth it so there's rarely cell phone service there there's no internet and it's kind of like the camping trip that never ends you don't really realize how much you use it until you really don't have access to it and there's at first it was like oh god what am i gonna do with myself there's a lot there's a lot of time in a day 
but now it's it's really nice to not have it there. I don't get to check emails every day. I don't get to check them all the time and to sit with your partner in a home that like there's no hiding when there's no internet. Mm-hmm. You are in front of that person and it has brought us a lot like a lot of laughter, a lot of tears, but but really like I've known him since grade primary. Mm-hmm. So it's been a long a long road. So yeah. um it's been pretty great to not have internet. <laughs> what, it would be an interesting social experiment because mm-hmm. we are so attached to our devices and that access that you often hear people claim that they don't have time yeah. for whatever the thing might be, be it exercise or cooking or, or art. Uh, but question, you're, you get notifications to say how much time you've spent on your cell phone each day, yeah. should you choose to <laughs> accept that. And so it's enlightening to think about, you know, what would you do with that hour, two hour, five hours, whatever your mm-hmm. usage is, if you didn't have access. Yeah. Yeah. When you're at your gal, do you have somebody running your gallery or are no, you? Okay. It's closed for the time being. Okay. I, I left the space for now and I'm mm-hmm. going to look into finding a new space or right. operating in a different way. Okay. Was having that bricks and mortar important to your business model? It was at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it did exactly what it needed to do. Mm-hmm. And it got my work in front of a lot of people and brought me a lot of relationships. Incredible. Well, again, we're we're honored to have you here and to hear your story and mm-hmm. you to to dive into all the intricacies of it and yeah, just seeing your success is just really <laughs> inspiring and encouraging. And a lot of people will just, again, like I said earlier, how artists need to consume just content that can inspire them. This will be something that someone will listen to. And like, hey, this this young girl is making six <laughs> figures doing art. Like, I can yeah, do that. It is definitely possible. So, and I want people to know that. And doing it by being yourself. Yeah. That's such a huge takeaway. It's yeah. just honoring yourself. And that is the thing that led to your success. Yeah. And I think a lot of people ask me, you know, how did how did this happen? You're like, I just turned 25. Mm-hmm. They asked me, how, how did you create this? But I think really discovering who you are and then living boldly. Like we just, we're here for a really short amount of time and who, who cares that much what other people think or what happens, just make a decision and go for it. <laughs> Even you being here today, I know you said you had not done a podcast before. Yeah. <laughs> and being an introverted person, it, it takes a lot of courage to show up at a couple people's houses who you've not met before and just open up. Yeah. Well, in the car on the way here, I was like, Aiden, like, I can tell them I'm sick. Like, we could just turn around. And he's like, no. He's kind of like my tire pump. He's like, no, we're going. We're doing this. I'm like, oh, no. like I'm, I might die. And he's like, no, we're going to go. So, I mean, just to to live, you know, when the fear shows up, it's usually you're going in the right direction. Yeah. So. And I like how you said that you have a conversation with that fear. Yeah. Maybe you did a lot of talking on the way here yeah. in anticipation, <laughs> but we're, you were phenomenal first Thank and you. foremost. <laughs> you have a very powerful story and presence. It shows in your work. Uh, I, I, of course, will include all of the links and directions to to be able to find you, but we didn't know you before coming here. You bravely reached out to us. <laughs> We've had a few people connect with us to see if they'd be a good fit for the podcast. But 
our first impression of you was your work alone was enough to convince us like, yes, I want to learn more about this person because there's such a power to it. There's such an energy to it. Now that we've met you and been able to share this time, I, I just feel like the stars have aligned in bringing you into our life and know, like Mike said, that people listening will have such a beautiful takeaway. So thank you for finding the courage and for not turning around <laughs> and spending <laughs> this time you. with us. Yeah, thank you for having me and, and trusting me and, and giving me this opportunity. I'm really grateful. Yeah, <laughs> it's our pleasure. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. And uh, yeah, follow Chanel online and check out her work. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, everyone. Introduction and your cell phone. My cell phone. That's okay. Uh, the cell phone stole my introduction moment. <laughs> I did just remember though, we were gonna maybe write a jingle and we didn't get around to that this week. Introduction, it's so fun. Introduction, where is the sun? Oh, yeah, it yeah. makes sense right now. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was our chat with Chanel Jefferson. Amazing young artist, only 25, making six figures, went through some really tough stuff with abuse in her family, and yeah, she's pouring that all onto the canvas, and it's really just resonating with people. She's using her art as a way of helping others heal from the hard things that they've been through in their lives. And actually, Chanel spoke of Uh, essentially a coach that she worked with her mentor and since then she is working with one of these mentors of hers in like in teaching others Uh, and I'm taking a it's a free five-day course starting um, and I'm going to be doing that course so I'll likely be able to chat with Chanel a little bit throughout that and hopefully afterwards yeah excited to learn well, yeah, as always, thanks for tuning in, folks. Hope you're having a safe and happy winter out there and not too much shoveling, or if you like shoveling, lots of it. Mm-hmm. What do you say, Kristen? I say lift with your legs, not with your back. What if you have bad legs? Then get somebody to help you. Pay someone. Pay somebody. Pay a local kid. There's some jobs that you should pay people to do. Yeah, it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't, you don't have to give in to your ego every time <laughs> pay the kid 10 yeah, bucks pay your yeah hire a local uh, teenager make their winter okay folks we'll be back next wednesday with another episode and uh, as always we appreciate your support very very much thanks a million Ooh. Ooh.